0: I really purposed in myself that when I get there, I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to be on point, and I'm going to be effective. And I think that needs to be the goal of, of any person that is creative, whether you're creative in speaking, creative in music, creative in IT, creative in anything. you got to be on point. you got to be effective. And if you're not, then you owe everybody around you an apology, uh, a huge apology, because you have wasted the most valuable commodity in their life, their time.
1: This is the Hillsong Creative Podcast, where we hear from creative experts and influencers, the dreamers and the doers, what they've learned, and what we can learn from their journey as we explore, respond, and create. I'm Rich Langton, and on today's episode, we have Pastor Charles Neiman, an author and a pastor, and we talk about creating from the inside out and through the hardest journey of life. On today's episode, I actually interviewed Pastor Charles Neiman at our Hillsong Worship and Creative Conference. And to be honest, it surprised me. We had such a great uh, conversation. He was authentic and he was open, but his leadership really shone through as well. We talked about his creative process and how he's managed to stay fresh for over 40 years in leadership. We also talked though about his journey of uh, his wife passing away and how he was able to stay creative even in and through that process. I think you're gonna love this interview and I think you're gonna get a lot from it. So we'll jump straight in. Um, firstly, thank you so much for being with us and agreeing to come and talk about creativity. I know it might be a little bit strange for us to be asking you about that. I'm not sure what you think. But um, but I guess being uh, a preacher and a leader and a pastor for now over 40 years in the one church, you have um, you have some things to say about being creative, I imagine. I hope so. I uh-huh. <laughs> um, imagine that you... Um, You've been through all sorts of seasons and um, some highs and some lows. And through that, uh, the process of time would mean that you're having to rethink and reimagine how you approach life. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about even, I guess, take us way back to when your church was brand new? And I believe you just started with a few people. Um, Can you take us back there and tell us the story?
0: Yeah, you know, we started at a home Bible study. I never thought it would turn into a church. I thought it was just going to be a home Bible study. Right. With 12 high school and college-age young men in one of their dad's houses. After a few months, we were running 70 people on Monday nights. Hmm. And uh, the uh, adults that started coming hijacked their Bible study. And it slowly, uh, over the course of about two or three years, turned into a church. And um, so, you know, it uh, developed Uh, back then. We're talking um, late 70s. Mm -hmm. You know, there wasn't uh, a lot of thought being given uh, to creativity. Right. Uh, For praise and worship, we used overhead projectors, Uh you know, with acetate sheets and Mm -hmm. you flip the words up on the wall. You know, that was really creative. Right. Uh, Instead of a hymnal. but even back then, you know, my wife and I back then, uh, we, we uh, began to see the value of improving, you know, projecting Christianity in a, in a much more—a uh, a much better light, you know? Mm-hmm. We felt that for decades Christianity had been kind of been given a pass to be dull, to be right. not hip, uh-huh. you know? Right. Um, not relevant to the culture that it was trying to reach, and right. we rebelled against that. Mm-hmm. you know we were children of the sixties, and so we had that kind of that rebellious spirit in us I think uh-huh. and so we um you know we rebelled against that, and I remember we used to spend time designing our cassette covers you know right. and trying to figure out how to make it nicer and mm-hmm. you know Of course, we were limited to the capability back then, mm-hmm. you know there wasn't a lot of capability to do things mm. um but we tried to do that. You know, we tried to create some artwork and create some interest around it. Right. And, and even the labels, you know, we tried to do some logo stuff and create some interest, you know, yeah. just... Um, I've always been very engaged in the creative side of our church, mm-hmm. you know, very engaged in right. it. You know, I'm, I sit in the creative meetings, I run the creative meetings, uh-huh. um, you know, so I'm very engaged with the, uh, you know, the creative people. Yeah, you know, because uh, that stuff is so critical. It's mm. critical, mm. critical. Right. You know, a picture is worth a thousand words. Right. You know, and mm. I can set the mood. I can set the tone. I can create the whole expectation off of off of some creativity. Mm. So absolutely, I, I think it's critical. And I'm so glad that that the world is more creative, and I'm glad that the church is coming into that world, mm-hmm. and trying to push the boundary. Mm. You know, trying to be the leader there. Mm-hmm. I'm all for it. Mm. So back in the day
1: when you only had those first few people and it started to grow, was that were they coming to hear your sermons, your messages?
0: Yeah, that's all there was. There was right. no praise and worship. I didn't have a praise and worship team. Right. I didn't have anybody that could lead praise and worship. A service was made up of me walking in, saying, "Let's pray." Lift your hands. Uh, we would just worship for yeah. a few minutes, just wow. without music, without anything. We would just worship, and I'd mm. sit down and teach. Yeah, and that was the extent of it, mm-hmm. you know. And um, and we knew there was better. We knew that we needed to do better, but you know, uh, you can't create that out of thin air. Mm. And so then, who taught you to
1: preach or to speak in a way that would attract people?
0: Wow, you know, I, I would I would say that that. Um, I, I always want to be around people who are living where I want to live. Right. You know? I I don't like to run with peers. I like to run with people who are living where I want to live. Uh-huh. So I, I I endeavor to get close to them, mm-hmm. to get as close as I can, so that I they can teach me how to live there. Mm. You know, when I began teaching, then I began uh, watching, uh, I was sitting in a seminar one time with a very famous uh, uh, Bible teacher back in the day, and and I was there, you know, to listen to him teach. And as I was sitting there, the first night, the Lord spoke to me and said, "Watch him. Hmm. Watch. Don't listen. Watch. Watch how he." So I, it's like my eyes kind of opened and. Mm-hmm. I began to watch how he moved and how he carried himself, and mm. and and I and I began to realize that as a speaker, my instrument is my voice, yeah. and I had to learn how to use my voice. That I had to learn how you know. And so, what? Why would people pay X dollars uh, to go listen to a professional speaker, mm. right? Because they have developed that gift, yes. you know. And so. I, I began to quit being afraid, you know, to raise my voice or huh. lower my voice or, right. you know, and then I discovered as I went along that, um, you know, sometimes as a, as a pastor, I have to say things that are difficult. They're, they're confrontational with people, you know. Uh, I don't enjoy it, but mm. it's something that has to be done at mm. times because the, the word does correct. Yeah. It doesn't only edify and encourage, it also corrects. Mm. Paul said in Timothy, it corrects and i discovered that that a lot of times you know a little bit of sugar helps the medicine go down and i think that sugar is humor right. so if you can if you can add a little humor into the correction it made it much easier for people mm. to swallow it mm. you know and mm-hmm. so it was just things that but it all comes out of my desire to be on point and be effective mm. you know to to be on point yeah. you know i th- i think in life that if you're if you're going to live a fruitful life then th- to me, that should be your goal, that you're mm-hmm. on point, that mm-hmm. when you get there, you know what you're there for. Right. You're not wasting your time. You're not banging around. You mm-hmm. know, I've been in seminars in services where guys get up, and for 45 minutes, you can tell they're wandering. Yeah. They have no idea where they're going. They have no idea, mm-hmm. right? And they end up blaming the crowd. Mm-hmm. You know, they take it out on the crowd. Well, if you people were more enthusiastic, I'd be preaching better. Right. No, you're not preaching good because you came in here unprepared. Unprepared, right. And 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 to me, that is the that is the greatest theft in the earth is when you steal somebody's time, mm. right? Mm. You can take their their briefcase, they can get another briefcase, yeah. But you take their time, they don't get that time back. It's mm. gone forever. It's mm. like a tank of gas, right? When you use it up, you can't get it back. It's mm. gone. It's out of it's out of it's out of the earth forever. Yeah. So I really purposed in myself that when I get there, I'm going to be prepared. Mm. I'm going to be on point, and I'm going to be effective. And I think that needs to be the goal of, of any person that is mm. creative, whether you're creative in speaking, creative music, creative in yeah. IT, creative in anything. Mm. you got to be on point. you got to be effective. Mm. And if you're not, then you owe everybody around you an apology, mm. uh, a huge apology, because you have wasted the most valuable commodity in their life, their time. Yes. So
1: from that perspective, on a, on a week-to-week basis, how do you go about preparing for a
0: Sunday? So for me, what I do is that I'm, I'm very different. I've come to discover from a lot of other okay. uh, teachers. Yep. Uh, I carry it in my head, mm-hmm. and I kind of mentally chew on a subject for a, for a while mm-hmm. before I ever sit down and start putting it on paper. Right. Um, and then when I do sit down and start putting it on paper, it usually only takes me about 30 minutes, right? right. Which a lot of guys are like, that drives me crazy. Do you do <laughs> that in 30 minutes? Right. But I've chewed on it for three or four weeks or right. a month or mm-hmm. three months. Mm. And um, so I've kind of fleshed it out in my mind. Mm. I, I skeleton it out in my mind, and then I'll flesh it out on paper. So you have a, a concept. Is it a theme or is it a passage? Or I, I always have a title. Like I, I did this series this summer called Burn the White Flag uh-huh. uh, that was incredibly powerful. Yeah uh, it it exceeded my expectations. Mm. I knew, I, I sensed that it was going to be really good, Mm. but it deals with perseverance, with grit, uh, with passion, Mm -hmm. you know, um, Bible talks a lot about those characteristics, you know, Mm. and so I began looking at it and, uh, began thinking a lot about it, you know, and I did some, some, uh, Research on white flags, and I discovered that no army or navy in the history of the world has ever taken a white flag into battle. They don't take them. They're not a part of the equipment. Right. They don't carry them with them.
1: So it's a, it's a myth that that you might throw in a white flag.
0: They don't take them. Right. If they wave one, they have to go find it. They have <laughs> to go find it. Right. A sheet or a shirt or right. something to wave the white flag. Right. So... Um, you know in Luke 18 Jesus said you know I, I, I will that men ought always two things to pray and not give up to pray and not give up mm. to pray and the the King James says faint not mm. in the literal text he said that you don't burn the, that you don't wave the white, white flag. flag so then have
1: you ever had over the decades dry patches where you just don't feel like you have anything to bring yeah,
0: yeah I have and it's usually been um, of uh, times of uh, you know huge stress uh, in other areas, right. um, you know where I just find it I found it hard to tap into that mm. uh, or to create anything new. Mm. Uh, so what I do is I go back and I'll find some some teachings that I did four or five years ago and right. I'll bring it back and mm-hmm. kind of rewrap it a little bit. Mm. Um, I don't apologize for that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's I think it's kind of silly to think, put yourself under the pressure as a teacher, mm-hmm. that you have to have something new every week. Right. Jeez. You know, um, besides that, we don't get a new book. You know, there's no books being added to the book. Right. You know. <laughs> yeah. You know, at some point, all the new people in your church need to hear the, the old stuff because yeah. they've never heard it. Uh-huh so you can bring them up to speed. Yeah. And the people that are there need to hear it again cuz they're not doing it anyway. Mm. So you got to bring them up to speed again. You know, you got to bring everybody back. Yeah. So yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I may call it a different title, you know, and sometimes I don't. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I just bring it back. Yeah. You know, cuz they need to hear it again. Mm. I need to hear it again. Right.
1: Hey, thanks for listening. I hope you're enjoying the interview so far. The episode is brought to you by the Hillsong Worship and Creative Conference, which is a conference we hold here in Sydney, Australia every year. At the conference, you'll hear from some of our own team and you'll hear their journey, how they're serving God and really how they're being creative with their lives. If you're listening to the podcast, you probably consider yourself a creative too. But even if you don't, check out more information at hillsong.com forward slash WCC and I hope to see you at the conference.
0: All right, this is Charles Neiman, and these are my Fantastic Four. Oh, by far, the most surprising experience I've had this year is I remarried. And uh, so I'm uh, almost a year into a new marriage, which I never thought would happen to me at this stage of my life. The last book I read is I Love Historical Fiction Books, and I read a whole series about Genghis Khan. My favorite place to recharge, if I could pick anything, would be to fly to South Africa and go to a game park, and drive around for three or four days and look at the animals. No desire to shoot them. The one thing I'd like to be better at this time next year is I would like to be a better grandfather, husband, father, and friend.
1: One last question. Um. I'm A few years back now, I remember being with Joel Abel in in the United States at a at a church conference that you were speaking at, and you spoke a message that you later spoke at Hillsong Conference. Yeah. Which um, I I think the title was "You Are My Stand Up and My Recover."
0: Yeah. The title was "When Life Doesn't Play Along."
1: Right. Yeah. And it um, for me was one of the most impacting messages, particularly of yours, but I think ever that I'd heard. Wow! Thank um, you. Can you? Um, I mean, if you're open to it, tell us the story that surrounded the message, and then um, also tell us how you had the, I guess the, uh, the courage to then to then preach that message.
0: Yeah, the me- the message was born, um, you know, out of a, a reality that happened to me and my family, and our church, and all my friends, and that was my wife of forty two years, Rochelle in May of uh, 2012, was diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer, um, which was, we found out later, basically meant she wasn't gonna live. Um, We were not prepared for that. Um, That began a journey that culminated on December the 30th of 2012, when Rochelle went to heaven. So it was only nine months, it was very short, very fast, Um, so uh, December the 12th of uh, 2012 was a Sunday morning Uh, Rochelle was at home under hospice care and um, so on Saturday night she told me I was going to church the next morning I told her I wasn't she said yeah you are Uh, the church needs to see you they haven't seen you in a while because I would missed a lot of church because of being with her at MD Anderson Cancer Treatment Hospital in Houston Uh, they'd sent us home and told us that we weren't to come back, that there was no more hope. So um, they sent us home on Christmas Eve. And so um, I left that morning. I didn't think she was going to pass away that morning. I really thought that she had another three or four days. Or to be quite honest with you, I wouldn't have left. Um, I got to church for the 830 service. They called me on the phone and said they think you need to come right back. I went in the building. My son was with me. Um, I sent him home because I really didn't know what to do. Uh, it was the only time in the whole time where I, I really had kind of come to the end of myself. I really did not know what to do. I had 10,000 people showing up, and I had no one. I had not prepared anyone to do the service. So I told Jared, I said, you go home. I said, um, At the end of the service i'll call you and if you think i need to come home then i'll come home but we'll see because rochelle had gone down and bounced back gone down and bounced back as we found out later um even if i turned around and left she passed away before i could have got home so i finished the service uh they came and told me that she had died I pulled the staff together, told them, okay, look, you, you, we're going to run the video of my teaching. Um, you guys have got to hold it together. I'm sorry. You've got to hold it together. So here, here's the story. So I got in the car, and I was driving. Uh, it was about 10, 1030. Uh, I was in the car by myself. I had no one to call. All of my friends are pastors. They're all in church at 1030 on Sunday morning. And the ones that aren't are asleep. They're in other parts of the world. So I was driving, and I was completely unprepared. Um, And I prayed this prayer. It was a very West Texas prayer. And I said, Lord, please don't let me screw this up. By this, I meant my life, my church, my kids, my friends. Please don't let me screw this up. What I was praying in truth was, God, I got to work, walk someplace I've never walked, and to walk someplace I've never walked, you got to teach me something I've never learned. And out of that was born five, or six major revelations that came into my life. The first place that God took me, well, the first thing that that I revi- that I prayed was is that I'll never ask why. Um, I'll never ask why, and the reason why I said that was because. Uh, it was none of my business. Uh, what went on between Rochelle and the Lord is between Rochelle and the Lord. What goes on between me and the Lord is between me and the Lord. It's none of my business what went on there. It's none of my business. That's between him and her. And it was, it, so I just removed myself out of that equation. Looking back, I see the wisdom of it now because a lot of people get caught up in that why and they never get an answer. They never get satisfied. It never makes sense to him. I also said, um, I'm not going to ask why because of Paul. You know, Paul makes that list of all those things he went through, and he never said, Why me? Why not Peter? (laughs) Peter's the one that denied you. Why didn't he get beaten? So I left that out. And then he took me to John 11, and that's the verse you talk about, right? Took me to John 11, where Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I felt kind of strange when the Lord told me to go study, but he told me, he said, look at it like you've never read it. So I looked at it. So I got out some Bible dictionaries and I looked up that word resurrection and it literally means I am the stand up and the recovery. I am the stand up and the recovery. Because at that moment, I felt like I couldn't get up. I felt like I'd been knocked to the ground. I couldn't get up. I was trying to get up. Oh my God, I wanted to get up. But I felt like I couldn't get up. I was, uh, when Rochelle died, I was, I was, I was completely drained, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, financially, I was drained. I was, and I knew I needed to get up. I still had kids. I still had a church. I still had grandkids. I had a life. I was mm-hmm. 62 years old. I mean, I, you know, I, I, but I couldn't get up, and I tried. And so then I saw that one night in my house. I looked it up, and it was right before I went to bed, and I laid down in bed, And I was laying there thinking about it, and I literally just came out of my bed. And I imagined, and I was standing, I got on my knees, and I imagined in myself that Christ was in me. Mm -hmm. And I I heard him say to me in my heart, I heard him say to me, you don't have to get up. I am the stand up. Let me stand up inside of you. And when I stand up, you'll stand up with me. And I just lifted my hands, and I said, stand up. Sorry, and he did. I felt it. I felt it inside of me. I felt him standing up inside of me. This energy come back into my life, and then the second part. I am the recovery, you know. And I and I realized, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna be okay. It may take a while, but I'm gonna recover. I'm 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 not gonna live like this. And I made I made a decision that night that I was not gonna go through life with a limp is the way I called it. I wasn't, I wasn't gonna go through life, you know. Um, I was just, I was gonna recover. And so I started moving forward, you know, and I just started believing that and speaking that over my life and praying about that. And, and only imagining stand up and recovery, that I wasn't gonna stay back there. And it was hard. It was very difficult. Uh, you know, I, I would love to tell people, oh, it just snapped together. Right. But it really took me, and everybody's different. It took me about three years to work through. You know, uh, my doctor uh, eventually diagnosed me as having had PSD, PTSD. I said, "You got to be kidding, right?" I've got guys in my church that've been to Iraq nine times. They have PTSD. Right. Guys like me don't have PTSD. And he said, "No, you do." And he showed me all the <laughs> symptoms. I said, <laughs> wow you know uh, but that helped me immensely and the reason why it helped me was as I realized that it wasn't me it was that kind of weird right. but it was that it wasn't me it was that and because when I saw that it was that then then because it wasn't me then I could overcome that right. just a little thing <laughs> I played in my brain but it made sense to me And so uh, that's that became uh, you know my grit and I and I sunk my teeth into it and I, was, and I became determined even when I was not sleeping and mm. eat up with regret and, and uh, fear. And uh, uh, my brain would just run uncontrolled and, and uh, the fear of being alone and, um, you know, things I could have done, should have done, ought to have done better. You know, and I had a good marriage, but, you know, when you're in that thing, you, you remember details you long thought you forgot and you could have done better, should have done better. Things you got upset about that now seem so stupid that you got upset about them. Mm. And so I started making promises, you know, and I told God, I said, you know, I don't know what recovery means to me. I said, I don't know. I'm not even going to define it to you. Mm. And then I, I started believing in restoration, you know, that God would bring restoration to my life, that he would restore me, that I would get back to being the guy I was. I wouldn't be the... Guy that was crying every other week at church, you know, that would lose it on the platform, you know, that he would restore me, and and he and he did, and I and again I told him I said I'm I'm not going to tell you what what restoration is, you define it. Mm-hmm. Little did I know that you know, uh, at the end of those three years, I, I would meet a a lady and and uh, we would fall in love and. Mm-hmm. We get married. you know. It's not well, something I, I, was, I was really thinking I was going to walk this out by myself, but I'm sure glad that, that wasn't God's plan for me.
1: Yeah. And I guess just real quick then, how, how was it that you got to preaching about that? Because for me, I guess, people watching, they've been through things. And particularly creatives, we like to create in our own little space, and we don't want to share it maybe because we're fearful. Yeah. Or we've been through something, and it's so personal that we can't bring it out. Well, but the
0: main reason I did was mm. because my church members came to my kids, mm. and my church members said, Shannon, Jared, what is your dad doing? Because he is doing so well. Right. What is he doing? Mm. Because he needs to tell us. Because we're, we're hurting. Yeah. You know... It's hard to imagine who Rochelle was and what Rochelle was if you did not see her in her element. Mm -hmm. In El Paso, she was iconic. Iconic. All right? And that's not an exaggeration. People Mm -hmm. that don't come to my church would say that. She was famous. People Mm -hmm. knew her. She had a huge outreach in the community just the way she lived and the way she was with people, much more than me. Mine was in the pulpit. Hers was out in the community. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, you know, when she, you know, passed away, you know, um, then, so then the, you know, the church was hurting terribly. I knew they were, but I was trying to fix me, you know, I was trying to get me back. And so they, and I was doing really well. And so the church came to my kids and said, what is, what is your dad doing? Well, I shared with them Mm -hmm. and they said, they told me, they said, dad, you got to teach us the church. You gotta teach it. You can't keep this to yourself. There's too many hurting people. So I came in on two Wednesday nights and I said, look, I'm gonna teach you what I've done when well, the building was filled, huge crowds, you know, packed it on Wednesday nights. And um, so I taught it, you know, and then the word got out, right, that I was teaching this and Joyce Meyer heard about it and brought me on to do her TV show and had me share it on her show. And, and then, you know, I went to, uh, to the meeting there in Washington, and you guys were there. And and uh, the pastor there, Dale, had heard somebody told him that I was doing this teaching somewhere. I don't know how he heard about it. Mm. And they said, You ought to ask Charles to teach it. And I said, He said, Would you mind? And I said, No, although it was hard for me mm. emotionally to do yes. it. Because uh, I had to go back. And mm. I had to go back into emotions that I was purposefully trying to leave behind. Yeah. Mm. You know, but I had to go back into it. Mm. And uh, But I saw the benefit of it, you know, I saw the benefit of it, you know? And I saw, um, you know, that people needed it. And and then I was willing to go back into that emotion if it could help other people, you know? And I had to put my self kind of to the side, that sounds very self-serving, I don't mean to sound that way, but I kind of had to just, you know, and it was hard for me, because a lot of times I would go back to the hotel room and I would cry because I was bringing, it was like I was picking the scab, mm-hmm. you know? But in the process, I was getting these emails and letters and phone calls and text messages and stuff from people saying, oh my God, you know, you've revolutionized my life. You know, I, I see a way out. There is hope, there's a light that, you know, thank you, thank you, thank you. So I was willing to do it. So now I'm gonna put it in a book. Wow. I've been approached to put it all in a book. And yeah. And then I'll have to go on a book tour, and I'll have to tell the whole story again. Right. But I can tell it now from a different level emotionally.
1: Yes, yeah. And um, there's so many more questions that I have, but I feel like I've taken lots of your time already. It's so my pleasure. Maybe sometime in the future, you can come and answer some more questions. I would love for to. Us. Yeah. Be Thank, my you joy. So Thank you so much. Thank you. I guess for sharing the journey, and particularly that last that last story, because I think, as I said, that creatives, we, I mean, people. Uh, people go through things, and particularly creatives, they tend to be feelers, and so they would um, maybe internalise and maybe not um, choose to stand up and, or, or have Christ stand up in them. And, um, and so I love that you would share with us a way to approach, I guess, moving through something, having the grit um, to keep at it, and then even to see how God could, could even use that to His glory, Mm -hmm. um, it's encouraging, and I think it'll be encouragement to lots of people. Yeah,
0: you know, I'll give you one quote where you probably heard it. Mother Teresa said, if you treat every person you meet as if they're hurting, you'll be right 95% of the time.
1: Wow. Mm. Thank you. It's quite a thought. It is. Yeah. Well, thanks again. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. don't know about you but that story goes straight to my heart and I can't help but get emotional when I hear it. I've heard it a number of times and every time I'm inspired to stand up and uh, walk out my faith in Jesus. So I hope you've really enjoyed that interview and that you've gained something from it. I hope it's good for your faith as well as uh, good for your creativity. Obviously, Pastor Charles has he's had a long life of being faithful and of obviously working out how to be creative and continually be fresh in that creativity no matter what the season Um, So pretty inspiring. If you'd like to find out more about Pastor Charles or read some of his books, you can do that. Um, Just check out amazon.com, search for his name. uh, Or on Instagram, you look for Charles Neiman, at Charles Neiman. Or of course, you can visit his his church in El Paso, Texas, if you happen to be in in the area. It's Abundant Life Faith Center. I've actually visited the church and I've heard him preach many times. And I think it's well worth visiting and well worth following someone like Pastor Charles. So thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Charles Neiman, but next week we've got a great interview with Jay He's our communications and art director for Hillsong Church globally. And you might not know him, but you will know his work if you've ever seen an album cover of Hillsong United, Hillsong Worship or Young and Free. So join us next week as we talk about pushing through the creative chaos and the struggle of coming up with awesome ideas. It's going to be great. Today's Food for Thought is with JD. He's a pastor, he's a leader, he's a worship leader, and you would probably known best from Hillsong United. He jumps around the stage, he's a lot of fun, but he also has a lot of wisdom to share. So let's jump into it.
2: God's just looking for someone who's available. God's not necessarily looking for the most talented, the best looking, the person with the most ability. He's simply looking for someone out there for us just to put up our hand and say, here we are, Lord, use me, send me. And it's such a small prayer, but I promise you, if you pray that and you mean it, God hears that and He will take your life and go greater and further and far beyond anything that you could have dreamed and imagined. I know that's been my story. I've kind of always felt like I don't have that great of great ability, never been super confident or never thought that my voice has been that great or that I can, I can do what's been asked of me. But I've always had that attitude that I'll be, you know what, here I am use me, whatever it is, it's not about my ability, but I just want to be available for God. And it usually starts very small and the plan that He can have for your life and I know for my life that if we just be up for whatever it takes, God will go beyond any of our wildest dreams.
1: thanks for joining us on this episode i really hope you enjoyed it and that you got something from it if you did you can subscribe on itunes or you can find us on youtube and i hope you can join us next time